Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, I'm joined again with Dr. Andrew Yochinsky. On April 6th, 2021, Dr. Yochinsky joined the show, and we had a conversation about monasticism during the Crusades. In today's conversation, Dr. Yochinsky is back on the show, and we're going to chat about early Christian monasticism in the Eastern Mediterranean. Dr. Yochinsky is Professor of Medieval History at the University of London, based in the UK. He has written many publications over his career, including co-authoring the book with the late Emeritus Professor Bernard Hamilton, who was with the University of Nottingham, and that book is entitled Latin and Greek Monasticism in the Crusader States and was published by Cambridge University Press. And Dr. Yochinsky is also working on a general book on monasticism in the medieval Christian societies. And Dr. Yochinsky joins us today from the UK. Welcome back on the show, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me again, Andrew. So if you remember the uh, first question I asked last time you were on the show when we chatted about monasticism during the the, the Crusades, I'm going to ask that very same question again. Why not? Uh, what is <laughs> what is monasticism? Uh, monasticism is the desire um, and the practice of the desire to and practice of separating oneself uh, from society uh, in order to um, seek God uh, and to live a life that is untrammeled um, by kind of external concerns of the world. And it starts um, in the early Christian period. We don't know exactly when, um, but we do know that monasticism in the Christian tradition uh, begins in the Eastern Mediterranean. So the the region, the Levant, or the region um, between uh, Egypt uh, spreading north to um, the Roman provinces of of, um, Palestine and Syria and into Asia Minor, that kind of arc um, of territories, that's the crucible of um, monasticism in the Christian tradition. When people um, speak about monasticism, is it demarcated to only Christianity or are there other religions that also um, have monasticism as a as a feature or, or an aspect of their religion? Well, I would say that the, the desire to separate oneself from the world in order to uh, pursue holiness um, is common to most religions. And so there are um, practices that are that we, we would think of as monasticism in many other religions. Buddhism is, a, is an example. Um, but the, the connections between uh, monastic practices in different religions isn't entirely clear. Uh, and um, I think uh, when we talk about uh, monasticism in the Eastern Mediterranean, we're largely talking about Christian monasticism. Okay. So, all right. So let's let's chat about um, what's what's known about. Okay. Now, before I ask the the, the kind of the when and where. Um, when it comes to a, Christ, a Christian monasticism, does a monastery always need to be associated to it? No. Uh, they, monasticism in its 
um, origins really has two different uh, types, um, one might say two different directions. Um, so um, some of the earliest monks were probably not members of a community or not associated with um, an institution, a, a set of buildings, um, a, a, a fixed monastery, um, but were um, anchorites, or as probably a more common word would be hermits. So we, we use the word hermit in kind of everyday speech to talk about people who are perhaps a bit antisocial or who, who choose to live alone and shun human society. And, and the word um, hermit comes from the Greek word eremos, which is the desert or a wilderness. Uh, and um, so there, there were people right at the start of monasticism who chose uh, to separate themselves from society by living in uh, the wilderness. In other words, to go, going to places that were difficult to live in where other people are not uh, already living. So that's that's all, that's one strand mm -hmm. in the beginning of the monastic tradition. And it's a strand that continues all the way through, both in the Eastern Mediterranean, but also uh, in, in uh, the Western Middle Ages as well. Um, and alongside that, um, you also have um, the other strand, which is community life, um, uh, where large uh, groups of people um, will set themselves up in a particular set of buildings, which is purpose designed to support um, a group of people pursuing uh, a monastic life. So when and where? You mentioned the Eastern Mediter Mediterranean Basin was um, uh, a cradle for, for Christian um monasticism so what's so if we if we zoom if we zoom in a little bit on that so uh what's what's known about uh when it started so uh, you know what, what do scholars say you know when it actually started or approximately and um more specifically if we're to kind of you know press the zoom button and zoom in even even further on the eastern mediterranean um where would people be look okay. looking at okay well Traditionally, um, we would zoom in on Egypt uh, and we would zoom in on the fourth century. Okay. So the historical record is not uh, entirely clear, um, but by the 320s, um, we already have references to people who are called monks in official records from um, the state, from the late Roman state in Egypt. Um, so we know that there are people who are called monk, monakos, um, and um, that and that's a, a kind of recognised way of life um, in uh, as early as the 320s uh, in Egypt. Um, by um, the later 4th century, uh, there are also people called monakos, or um, groups of people living in monasteries in Palestine and Syria, uh, and then in Asia Minor. So it's, it, it probably starts in Egypt um, and uh, probably fairly early in the 4th century. Uh, Mon Monacos is a term you used. Um, um, my apologies if the pronunciation isn't quite there, but that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's what it sounded like um, in, what I, in yeah. what I heard. Um, so Monacos, is, what, what kind of language is that uh, derived from? That's a Greek word, um, and it's a neologism. So it's a, a kind of newly created word 
uh, in this period. It, it's not something you find in classical uh, Greek. Um, so it seems to be a word that's kind of created to describe a particular way of life. And it comes from the Greek word monos, which means single or alone. So the first monks are probably people who live alone, and a monakos is a loner, really, I suppose, uh, we could say. So monks, so would monakos be, um, would monks originate from the Greek term monakos? Yeah, that, yeah. So, so I suppose the word comes about because um, there are people already who are living this kind of life, and um, uh, they, the world needs a, a kind of needs to define them. Needs to say who who are these people? And a, a, a word monikos is is kind of invented in Greek uh, to describe um, what they're, what they're doing. So the, the earliest um, uh, uses of the, of the word um, in written texts uh, comes actually from court records um, in the early fourth century. Um, where uh, 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 monks are described as as being um, present in a particular or near a particular village. In this period of time, fourth century, why do you think? And, and you might have to infer a little bit, unless somebody yeah. you know had a diary and they were they were sharing all their all their thoughts, which doesn't typically seem to happen with these historical topics. <laughs> um, why do you yeah. think? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, why do you think individuals at this time um, felt the need to seclude themselves to, I believe you said, um, you know, one of the definitions of monocos is uh, s- single. There seems to be some kind of seclusion. Why, yeah. why, why, why take that, um, why, why take that in, in, in endeavor? Um, why not uh, worship, in, you know, um, in, a, in, a, in a different way? But but perhaps not secluded and and uh, and, and be more in, integrated with everyday life that would have been happening in uh, in Egypt. Why do you think some individuals decided to take the endeavor of being more secluded? Well, there's uh, there's lots of theories about this, <laughs> uh, and um, there isn't really one answer to it. Uh, so one theory, which actually is quite an old theory, was um, a, a, an idea which is uh, coined by um, a, a, a later fourth century monk himself, uh, is that the first monks were fleeing um, the persecution of the Roman authorities. Um, the great, as it's called, the Great Persecution, um, was um, uh, or took place in the, the period of the, the end of the third century uh, and the beginning of the fourth century, and. It doesn't really end until um, the, the first Christian emperor, Constantine, um, issues uh, an edict of toleration. Um, and um, this is in th- uh, the year 313 uh, and um, makes Christianity effectively a legal religion to practice. So the period before that, um, Christ- Christians are liable to be persecuted and and martyred if they um, sort of if they refuse to worship um, the traditional gods uh, publicly uh, and so one theory is that the first monks were Christians who wanted to escape persecution 
and didn't particularly want to be martyred and therefore kind of ran off into the, into the desert. That's, as I say, just a theory. Um, it's, it's certainly not uh, provable that, that, that that's the case. There are other theories, um, such as that the early fourth century was a period of economic decline um, in Egyptian um, society, particularly in a group of villages in uh, what's called um, Lower Egypt, which is the northern part of, of Egypt, uh, and that um, that people are kind of leaving their villages in large large quantities because they can't be they can't sustain life there anymore and going off to try and, and live where, wherever they can. Um, but there are other um, ideas uh, about why it starts as well. Um, I think the important context is that this is a period in which, um, Chris, because Christianity is becoming uh, legal, um, it's also a period in which the Christian church um, is establishing itself as a public institution for the first time. And that means that it's starting to own property, um, that it has a, a public face, um, and that it's becoming part of um, the establishment of the Roman state. Um, uh, the, the early Christian emperors Constantine and his successors in the fourth century, uh, one could say co-opted the church into the governance of the empire. And so probably many Christians were unhappy with this or uncomfortable with this um, and felt that um, they wanted to retain a kind of distance uh, from um, officialdom uh, and from the world and from, from political life and so on. Um, and that uh, rejection of uh, the world uh, and the state uh, was um, necessary in order to maintain their kind of purity or their integrity as Christians. So obviously, during the period when monasticism is developing and emerging, most Christians are not living in this uh, solitary manner. Most are still remaining within society and, and worshipping together uh, publicly. Uh, it's always a minority we're talking about, but it becomes a, a very marked uh, minority. It becomes a, a kind of new way of, if you like, doing uh, Christianity. When do scholars begin to consider sects of Christianity to come into existence? I want to understand if that's part of this uh, period of time at all. Uh, well, it, it is said that the Emperor Constantine was attracted to Christianity as a religion, partly because he saw it uh, from the outside as being unified, as being one, one church, one body. In, in fact, in a sense, there were always, um, if not sects, at least different ways of doing it, um, different Christian traditions, different traditions of worship, uh, and different um, ideas about Christian teaching um, and Christian theology uh, grew uh, throughout this period. Um, uh, so in a sense, uh, Christianity has always been a, a religion of sects and particularly because this is a period where theology is just being as it were sorted out um there isn't that still at the early fourth century this, the period we're talking about um the church's uh, uh teaching on things like the trinity or the person of christ uh, haven't yet been resolved 
uh, to everyone's satisfaction. So this is a period of flux. Um, but it's a period where, in theory at any rate, uh, the church is a, is a single unity. Uh, the breakup into different churches begins to happen in the 5th and 6th centuries, um, but doesn't, isn't really a completed or it's an ongoing process. Um, uh, isn't completed until, um, well, arguably until the Reformation in the 16th century. Okay. So uh, early monasticism, because we're chatting more about the early period, um, yeah. and I think people can probably infer a little little bit on um, why why people were um, were, were were practicing these uh, were practicing monasticism in these in these early years. But can you uh, just to make sure it gets across? So so um, what 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 were early and would you call people that okay a definitions question? Anyone that practiced monasticism in these early years. Um, if they were, if they were male, cause I'm, I am going to get to females as well with, with, with the term nuns and see if, um, yeah. find out when, when that, um, comes into existence as, as a, as a, as a term and when, when women were involved in monasteries, etc. But in these, in the early years, um, males that were practicing, uh, monasticism, let me ask it like this, where was it, I'm going to ask it more open-ended. Was it was it um, men, men only in the records for the early years, and would you call those monks, um, or and or were uh, women uh, anything in the records about women um, practicing monasticism? And if not in the early years, that's in the records. When when do they start to to show up in the records? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, as far as we know, the first monks who uh, who, who about whom we know. Uh, were men, um, but there were um, women pursuing the monastic life probably by the end of the fourth century. So, around, you know, by the year 400, you probably also have um, women religious uh, or nuns, uh, if you prefer, um, all throughout the Mediterranean. Um, the, their way of life is, is a little bit different. Um, you tend to have um, fewer uh, uh, nuns living alone as hermits uh, and or living in, in, in community um, but they're certainly they're certainly there and one finds them in Egypt uh, in um, the in uh, Syria and the Holy Land uh, and Asia Minor and eventually in in um, the Western Mediterranean as, as well so and, and this gets to the um, the definitions question I I, I, I was going to ask so, is in in these in these early years? Do you always call call a male who's practicing monasticism? Do you always call him a monk? And then yeah. do you always call a, a woman who's practicing monasticism? Do you always call her a nun? Uh, no, the, the word nun um, is a is a later term, um, and it's really a Latin term, um, and so it's slightly anachronistic for us to use it to apply to. Uh, women religious in this period, but there isn't since there isn't really a a kind of um, a term of convenience in in English. We tend to to kind of transpose it back in time, as it were. So as long as we're aware that it is a bit anachronistic, we can carry on talking about nuns. I think. Okay, but you could also uh, on that note then in that early early period because you mentioned late. Fourth century, women started to practice monasticism. You could, could you also call them uh, monks? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, you could. Uh, you could. Um, I mean, it's it's slightly unusual in English, but no reason why not. I mean, they, they are doing uh, very similar things um, in terms of the practice of a religious life. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And if perhaps um, if easier for, for the, the conversation um, at, at times, we'll, we'll maybe we'll weave in, in and out. But if we're speaking about yeah. the different genders, I can understand why the different terminology becomes... You can say female monks. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay. So this, so, so early monasticism, what were the practitioners getting at? And this is, this is what I was going to ask, um, early, earlier. So what were they, I know I, we, we've covered, they were secluded, right. But what, what do you think they, what was, what was their aims in, in what they, in what they were doing? Okay. So I'm going to answer that question by, um, kind of personalizing it in a way by introducing a couple of characters. One of, one of the first monks we know about uh, was an Egyptian called Antony, um, who lived in the fourth century. He died in uh, 356. Um, and he was left fairly substantial property by his parents uh, early in the fourth century uh, in a village in the Nile Delta region of Lower Egypt. Um, and he's born into a Christian family, and he decides, uh, probably in his um, early adulthood, that the way to live the gospel is to uh, not be burdened with any possessions. And so he sells his possessions, gives the money to the poor, and takes himself off outside the village um, to live alone, uh, just um, concentrating on um, uh, prayer uh, and fasting uh, and a life of penance to try and get close to God. And gradually he um, goes further and further into the desert. Um, he, uh, the, the account uh, of his life that we have, which is written toward the end of the fourth century, talks about going first to the inner mountain uh, and then the outer mountain. Uh, and he seems to have um, ended his life deep in, in the Egyptian desert. Um, so he's going further and further away from human society. Um, and he becomes in his own lifetime quite well-known, quite celebrated um, for his um, endeavours. Uh, at one point, a group of um, uh, philosophers goes to uh, ask him various questions about God, uh, and he, he gives them answers. Um, he has uh, various disciples at, uh, at one point who uh, want to, to see how he does it. Um, he grows his own food, uh, just enough to feed himself, uh, and lives a kind of self-sufficient life, just uh, alone um, with God, and of course with his own thoughts. Uh, and one of the um, things that the, the life of Antony this, this um, uh, the text that we have describing the life, uh, one of the things it describes is um, his psychological state uh, and his battles against demons, um, uh, who to him are real, um, the battles against temptations of the flesh uh, and the temptation to just to go back to a much more comfortable kind of existence. Uh, Anthony, we know about really from two sources. There's Life of Anthony that was written by Athanasius, who was the Bishop of Alexandria. Um, 
and achieved a fairly wide dissemination. It was written in Greek, but translated into Latin, uh, and already by the end of the fourth century was, was quite widely known. We also have a group of letters that were written by Anthony himself um, to others uh, about the monastic life and um, advising on how best to go about it. So Anthony is really the model um, and the exemplar for solitary monastic life. At more or less the same time, uh, another Egyptian called Pacomius uh, developed institutional monastic life based on large groups of people um, gathered together and living in a monastery. Uh, Pacomius um, set up a, a, a group of monasteries um, in Upper Egypt, so further into, into the desert, which we can see really as kind of large-scale agrarian communities um, where the inhabitants were uh, devoted their lives to uh, a kind of um, uh, to a, a pattern based on uh, prayer, uh, public worship, uh, and farming. Uh, they are like communes, if you like. Uh, and we know that Pacomius and um, others who, who followed his model established monasteries both for uh, male monks and female monks. These um, use a term as a, uh, it sounds like, as a way to describe it, the, the, the early uh, communes. Um, do scholars uh, consider these communities um, the first mo monasteries? Would you call it a, a monastery at, at this point? Yes. Uh, yeah. Why not? They are. Yeah. These um, these kind of agrarian spiritual communes are really the first monasteries in the Christian tradition, um, and. So we have two kind of contrasting models of monastic life. There's the solitary path, which is typified by Antony, and there's a communal method, um, which is um, popularized by Pacomius. And in between, um, we have a third way, um, which I suppose um, uh, is an attempt to, um, to, to mix the best of these two practices. Um, so there are much smaller communities of solitaries who gather together um, uh, and in a kind of compound uh, setting uh, where they might have huts or cells um, in which they live individually, but not far from, from others. And that's partly for security uh, and, and safety, uh, but partly also because uh, one of the features of um, early monasticism is an idea of a relationship between a master and a disciple. Uh, so when you start off as a monk, there are no particular qualifications that you need, but you need to learn um, the business uh, from someone else. Uh, and so for that reason, we have looser communities um, where uh, people could uh, go and if you like, build your own hut near other practicing um, solitaries. And this, this makes for um, somewhere in between uh, the purely uh, individual and the group model. Uh, and in some parts of the Middle East, particularly in the Roman province of Palestine, um, 
uh, we have a, a type of monastery known as a lavra, um, which is uh, usually in a fairly inaccessible spot, often in a, a, a valley or a gorge, uh, where a group of monks would uh, occupy caves um, along the same valley, and they might gather together once or twice a week for public worship, but would spend the rest of their time uh, alone in, in caves. So there is a kind of third way between those two extremes. The, um, the agrarian type mo monasteries, uh, was that Egypt where, where those first started or somewhere else? They start in, they start in Egypt, okay. um, but they, the idea spreads. Uh, so we also have these kind of large scale um, self-sufficient farming monasteries um, in Syria uh, and in the Holy Land or, or Palestine, the, the area that's now uh, kind of covered by um, Israel and, and the occupied territories, and and then also in Asia Minor. So by um, the 380s, let's say, um, we have monasteries in, in all these regions. Uh, and um, if one thinks about um, monasticism in general, there are always more practitioners of that uh, communal style of monasticism than there are individual solitary monks. Hmm. Um, in these early, uh, in this early period, um, let, let's say in the first couple hundred, it's a bit arbitrary, but let's say in the first couple hundred uh, centuries, um, yeah. were were men and women ever intermingled in in these monasteries, or were they um, always compartmentalized? Uh, as far as we know, they're compartmentalized as far as possible. Uh, where uh, male and female monks are most likely to encounter each other is actually amongst solitaries. So there are some accounts of female monks who are living as solitaries encountering male monks. Um, but by and large, um, monastery, female monasteries and male monasteries are, are kind of kept, the sexes are kept apart. Yeah. What was um, monks' relationship in these early years to the concept of chastity and, and concepts like celibacy? Um, <clears throat> well, um, the uh, uh, monks and, um, and both male and female monks were supposed to live chaste lives. Um, so uh, chastity or celibacy is an important component uh, in the monastic profession. Um, and this kind of takes us into another important aspect of early monasticism, which is the wider relationship to the body. Um, and part of the purpose of leading a monastic life is um, to free yourself from bodily desire or bodily appetites or needs. Uh, and uh, so uh, the desire to, uh, to become chaste, to, to pursue a celibate life, has to be seen as as part of um, the wider kind of um, mission, I suppose, uh, to perfect oneself um, as a person. Uh, and that concept of perfection uh, is seen as um, a sort of restoration to an original ideal um, where sex 
uh, and um, other bodily desires are no longer necessary. When did, um, so you spoke about some of the earlier forms, like an agrarian type of monastery. You mentioned caves um, uh, were were found as well. Um, So when did uh, more constructed architectural structures, like when we think about monasteries today, you know, typically what would come to mind, right, is is a more of an architecturally designed built building and and some of them are very, very beautiful. Um, when, when did, when did those, um, begin to come into existence and, and why, and, and why, and why was that more for pragmatic reasons? So people could, they could, they could live. I don't know if I want to use the term comfortably given, given, um, yeah, it, it sounds like the, 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 aim, the, the, the aim at times, but from a more of a, a, a pragmatic, uh, per, per, pers- perspective, can you speak about why those also came into yeah. existence? Yeah. I mean, um, buildings um, were part of, you know, probably quite early on. Um, so a large group of, the larger the group of people, you, the, the more kind of building space you need, as it were. Um, so we don't know very much about the materials used um, in uh, some of the early Egyptian monasteries. Um, uh, a lot of them were probably built out of kind of earth, earthwork. Um, but certainly stone is used in other parts of the um, Eastern Mediterranean world. Um, there isn't a single building pattern when thinking about the architecture of the monastery. The emphasis was on functionality rather than form. Um, and um, the main thing was to have a space within um, the monastery that was um, consecrated for worship. So uh, what we would call a church, I guess, or a chapel. Um, and then you would have other uh, buildings um, that were kind of indispensable to community life. So you needed a place, um, obviously, for monks uh, to sleep. Usually this would be in a kind of dormitory setting. Uh, you needed a place for monks to eat, so a refectory or dining uh, area. Um, and uh, you needed um, buildings for um uh, for, for producing the food, so a bakehouse um, uh, uh, with oven uh, and kitchen um, and storerooms for keeping the equipment. Uh, some of these early monasteries um, had animals uh, used in farming, uh, oxen, for example, so you'd also need to have barns. Um, so the, the buildings are originally really just what you need in order to, um, to to make the community function. And there is very little thought given uh, to uh, decoration or to architectural style. Um, some of the monasteries, particularly in uh, areas which are on the borders of the Roman state, um, and therefore where there might be security issues, um, Some of them actually had uh, towers, defensive towers. Uh, They probably all had walls around them, um, partly to keep out wild animals, but also to keep out uh, bandits um, or uh, uh, undesirables. Um, But the the emphasis certainly is on kind of function and and pragmatism. Is there anything in this 
conversation, Andrew, that we haven't touched on as a topic item that you really want to make sure gets across in the uh, conversation today? Yeah, I'll say a bit about um, forms of ascetic um, life. Um, so all monks and, and religious women, all, all monks, whether male or female, are trying, as I've said, to, to pursue uh, a life which is aim, aiming to get close to God. Um, some uh, develop forms of asceticism or bodily austerity or self-mortification um, that go farther than others. Uh, so we have examples of monks in some monasteries, particularly in Syria, uh, where this seems to have been quite common, um, adopting um, forms of life or, or adopting practices, I should say, um, that are deliberately aimed at making themselves uncomfortable, but making life difficult. So we have, for example, um, in the archaeological record, uh, we have um, places in churches, in monasteries, where there are very small niches where monks would spend the night just standing up there all night um, in prayer. Uh, we have examples in the textual record of monks doing things like um, hanging heavy weights from their bodies uh, so they couldn't stand up straight, uh, or um, uh, uh, tying uh, bands, iron bands, uh, around their bodies to constrict their breathing. Uh, and these are deliberate and to us very outlandish uh, attempts uh, at inducing a kind of bodily discomfort um, which is, I suppose, a kind of shortcut to um, mastering bodily desires. So that's the that's the aim. We also have a, another tradition uh, in uh, amongst some of these early monks in um, a, a dietary customs that are deliberately uh, austere. <clears throat> so there is a group of monks in Syria and Palestine who are known as the grazers, um, the, the Greek word boskoi, uh, and they are described as going out uh, into the kind of semi-desert or the wilderness um, with no food, just to live off the land uh, and uh, uh, grazing like animals, um, going up into the, um, in, out into the hills with just a sickle or a knife to cut um, the uh, that the plants and the, the roots dig up the roots that grow there naturally uh, and eating them. So this is a way of demonstrating that you have mastered um, all kind of bodily appetites and desires. And that's uh, an important feature of early monasticism. It's not the case that all monks, male and female, indulged in these practices, but they're there as a kind of benchmark um, for uh, how for, for a kind a particular kind of, of holiness. A few years ago, I I visited uh, Mitoya in uh, central Greece in in the mountains in in central Greece. So I, I haven't been to a lot of monasteries over the years, but I've been to been to that one, and and it, it's uh, it's beautiful what they what they what they had built and have been able to maintain yeah. over all these years. Is there uh, uh, kind of in closing? 
Andrew, is there is there a monastery that that uh, that you've been to in your travels in the eastern um, in the eastern Mediterranean that really stood out for you? And if so, you know why? Um, or or take it or you could take it a different way. Is there is there a monastery in the records that um, really stood out 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 for you? And and if so, why? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. For me, the the monastery I always think of, <laughs> and um, which I do have kind of very strong memories of, is the monastery of Masaba or Saint Saba, uh, which is in the Judean desert. Um, it's um, not far from the Dead Sea, south a little east of Jerusalem. Um, it's uh, a monastery that was founded toward the end of the fifth century um, by. Uh, someone called Saba, uh, and it's a, a Lavra monastery. So it was originally just a group of cave cells along the Kidron Valley, uh, but uh, in time uh, it developed into a set of buildings on a ledge overlooking the Kidron Valley. Um, and it's walled and has towers, and it's a remarkable place. It's a place of incomparable but very harsh beauty. Um, and um, uh, it's a monastery which has uh, been in continuous existence uh, since the, um, the, the end of the 5th century. So traditional founding date is 498, which is a, an amazing um, thing when one, one thinks about it, really. Um, and uh, it's a monastery which produced large numbers of scholars, um, uh, theologians, writers, uh, especially during the kind of golden age um, between the uh, 6th and the uh, 12th centuries. Um, and it's, uh, it's just uh, the place that I always think of when I think about um, early monasticism and monasticism in that tradition. Hmm. You're, uh, you're working on a general book on monasticism in the medieval uh, Christian societies. Um, any, any sense, um, and I know you're in the middle of the project right, right, right now, it's not like it's, uh, you know, with the, with the publisher or anything, but is there a target year or, or date that you're kind of working, working from that you're hoping to have it done? Uh, I don't want to commit myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's something I've been working on for some time. So it eventually will, we'll see the light of day. I will just say about it, that it's what I'm trying to do is something which I don't think really has been done before, which is to cover not just, um, early monasticism, but to, to look at monasticism all through until, uh, through till, um, the uh, 15th, 16th centuries, but to look in parallel at the Eastern and the Western traditions of monasticism in, in uh, Christian society. Um, so uh, to show how um, the, um, the traditions in, in the Eastern Mediterranean continued uh, and to, to compare and contrast those with, with what's happening in uh, Western Europe. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Andrew. Thanks for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me again, Andrew. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. So again, everybody, the book that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Yochinsky co-authored, Latin and Greek Monasticism in the Crusader States. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Andrew and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now.
Hey again. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.